from the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Let's see if I remember how to do this. I called up some pastor friends. I said, can you remind me how to preach? I think I seem to have forgotten how to do this. Uh, just kidding. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read verses 3 through 14. I want to invite you to stand as we read God's word. Ephesians Chapter 1. This is God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. If you would, lift your hands with me as we come to God in prayer. Lord, all through your story, you have shown that you are pleased to do great things through small people. You demonstrate your power through weakness. And we pray that this morning you would do that yet again. We pray that your word would go out and that it would not return to you void, but would accomplish what you send it for. We pray that your word would meet eager and willing hearts. Lord, we pray that you would do a transforming work in our midst this morning through the preaching of your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, this summer... Uh, the Whitfield family had an amazing sabbatical. And as part of that sabbatical plan, uh, we road tripped across the country to Colorado, where we were uh, planning on renting a house in the Rocky Mountains. And when we got out to Colorado, we, we decided that we were going to spend a week in Boulder so that we could acclimate to the altitude before going up into the mountains. And if you've ever uh, been to Boulder, Boulder sits just to the east of the Rocky Mountains. So when you're in Boulder, you can look off at the horizon and you can see the Rocky Mountains. 
And when you first get to Boulder and you look at that, it's, it's beautiful. It's pretty stunning. And, and you begin to get the sense after being in Boulder for a little while that you actually get the mountains, that you understand what the mountains are, that you get what they're about. We had spent a few days in Boulder, and I was like, oh, yeah, the mountains. I get what the mountains are. But when we began our journey from Boulder up into our destination in the Rocky Mountains, uh, taking the highest road in North America, I began to realize that I'd, I had no idea what the Rocky Mountains were. As we, as we climbed up that road and, and we began to, to come around these bends and these, these breathtaking scenes would unfold before our eyes, it was, it was stunning. And just when you thought it couldn't get any more stunning, you would come around another bend and this dramatic landscape would be ahead of you and you would see snow-capped mountains crashing down into these valleys and these cascading waterfalls that were coming from the, the melting snow on the, on, the, on the mountain to the left of you. And, and no guardrails, no guardrails. I, I it increased my prayer life while we were taking this road up. But it was stunning. And, and when we finally got up to the place where there was snow on the snow banks on the side of the road in the middle of July, we were absolutely mesmerized. We couldn't say enough words. We couldn't snap enough pictures. A uh, family and friends that we were calling on the phone, we decided the words weren't enough. They just had to come here because nothing that we say was really going to do justice to what it was we were experiencing. Now, Boulder was nice. It was beautiful. But it wasn't until we ascended into the mountains to witness the peaks within the Rocky Mountain National Park that we really began to appreciate what the mountains are. In many ways, this is what it's like to talk about the salvation of God that he has accomplished in Jesus Christ. Many of us have been sitting in Boulder, viewing it from a distance, thinking that we get what this thing is. But we, we maintain this distant understanding of salvation. We have a, a salvation in general. God, you know, Jesus saves. Yeah, I, yeah, I get that. But we have yet to ascend up into the mountains to see the peaks to have these scenes, this dramatic reality wash over us. We have yet to really appreciate what it means to be saved by God. And so this fall, what we're going to do is we're going to go beyond salvation in general. We're going to get beneath the surface level understanding of salvation. And we're going to try and understand some of the architecture of what it means to be saved. My hope is that as we begin to ascend into these, these key doctrines that unfold our salvation for us, that unfold for us what God has done, getting more specific with what he actually achieved, that we'll, we'll be changed by that. that. Because here's the deal, when you move from surface level understandings of salvation to bigger uh, more resonant, more earth-shaking understandings of what God has done to save us. 
It moves you beyond surface level worship and surface level service and surface level mission and surface level giving and surface level change. It's by growing in our grip of our salvation that we begin to mature, Paul says, into the full stature of Christ. So this morning, we are going to kick off this series, the series called Saved. How many of y'all heard someone say, I'm saved? Or they've heard, they talk about, you know, being saved. Have you heard this language before? Okay, what we want to do is we want to fill this in. What does that mean? How does God actually do that? Not only what has God done in Jesus Christ, which we talk about all the time, but we want to deepen how it is that the accomplishments of Jesus become ours. What becomes ours? What does God actually do in you? What did he have to do for you? We're going to be talking. You, you've heard of words through the course of your time around the Christian faith, maybe. Maybe you're new and you haven't heard these words. But there are words that are thrown around. Calling. Regeneration. Faith. Repentance. Justification. Adoption. Perseverance. Glorification. What, what does it mean to be saved? So that's where we're going this fall. And what I want us to begin with this morning is the most, hear me, the most important doctrine that you must understand in order to get what it means to be saved by God. And it's union with Christ. Somebody say union. Union, union with Christ is the key concept that you must begin to wrangle with in order to understand what it means to be saved. So this morning, I want to work through two points, but I more, even more, I want to implant an image in your minds to help you to begin to conceptualize the salvation of God, what it means to be saved. So we're going to hit two points where we see that union with Christ is the centerpiece and the masterpiece, okay? Union with Christ is the centerpiece and the masterpiece. So let's begin with our first point. Union with Christ is the centerpiece. It's the centerpiece of salvation. Now, this passage in Ephesians, it's one of the richest, most amazingly dense passages in Scripture. It's all here. Uh, if you're trying to understand the way that the apostles uh, worked out uh, their understanding of, of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done and how he did it, who God the Father is, who the Holy Spirit is, the Trinity, it's in here. And if you begin to look at verse 3, we're going to begin to chop it up. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, I want you to see the threefold usage of bless, all right? Blessed be, that means praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Blessed be the one who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So Paul is already reaching over the top. He's giving a eulogy, the good word about what God has done, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, 
in order to give us every blessing. So first of all, you begin to see the Trinity emerging. But the key concept that I want you to see is that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, if you would have asked a first century Christian what it meant to be a Christian, they would not have had the word Christian yet. They would have described their status as being in Christ. In Christ is the language that they would have used. And that language is used all through the New Testament, in Christ, with Christ, to communicate what it means to be saved by God. In short, begin to wrestle with this. To be united to Christ, union with Christ, is that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul says in Colossians. So to be united to Christ, he uses all kind, there are all kinds of images that are used in the scripture to try and give us something of an understanding of what this union with Christ is. It's likened to, Jesus likens it to the, the vine uh, and the branches. This vital union, the branches are connected to the vine, that kind of vital union. Paul, uh, later in Ephesians, is going to liken union to, to marriage, the relationship between husband and wife. Union is, is, is described as the relationship between the head and the body. Between the stones and the building, the cornerstone. Uh, this language of union with Christ, once you get hip to union with Christ, you begin to see how it is all over the scriptures, particularly the New Testament. You, as a Christian, are united to Christ. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. You are bound to him and he is bound to you. This is the emphasis right off the bat. And at the very beginning, I want you to see something that's really important. And it's this. Every single benefit of salvation comes to us in union with Christ. I'm going to say that again. Every single benefit of salvation, every spiritual blessing, it comes through union with Christ. You cannot get them a la carte. Every benefit, the peace, the grace, the mercy, calling, justification, sanctification, glorification, assurance, regeneration, faith, all of it comes in union with Christ. And we cannot abstract the giver of the gifts from the gifts. We cannot abstract the benefits from the benefactor. You can't separate these good things that we receive from Jesus, you cannot separate them from him. Everything is in Jesus. Now listen. Here's the image I want to implant in your minds. I opened up with an illustration about viewing the mountains, the Rocky Mountains from a distance versus actually ascending to the, up, up into the mountains where you could actually see the peaks. Now, here's the deal. The various peaks within that mountain range are things like effectual calling. God calls you to himself 
and makes you alive. Regeneration, the spirit works within you to make you alive. Justification, adoption, assurance, sanctification. All of those are various mountain peaks, but the mountain range is union with Christ. Does that make sense? Union with Christ is the category around which all of our understanding of salvation is to be built. You are united to Christ. If you want to sum up salvation in a phrase, it's union with Christ. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Nothing that we have received from God or experienced of God in salvation comes separately from Christ, which means this. You can't diminish or demote Christ. You can't marginalize Jesus. You can't compare anything or anyone to Jesus. You can't tame Jesus. You can't relativize Jesus and still do justice to Jesus. Now, if you listen, if you watch, if you watch things that happen in culture, what you'll notice is that there is a lot of borrowed language from the Christian faith. People borrow language from the Christian faith. They talk about peace. They use churchy phrases. God is good. I got, you know, I, I, yeah, I got joy. Uh, you know, they use the language of salvation. But at the same time, they are continually pushing Jesus to the margin. They have this Christless version of religiosity where all of the benefits that only come through Jesus are somehow theirs apart from Jesus. Jesus has been demoted and diminished. Now, you watch something like Aretha Franklin's funeral. Okay? Now I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. Because what you noticed is that Jesus was very hard to find. Jesus was very hard to find, but people talk about being blessed. It was a blessing. Listen, blessing is the language of covenant union with God in Jesus Christ. The, the opposite of blessing is cursing, and you only have an escape from the curse and a reception of the blessing through union with Christ. There are no blessings without Jesus. You don't get anything apart from him. And, th and this is the powerful thing that we see in this, in this text. Jesus, listen, listen. If you look at this, you, you will begin to see that Jesus Christ is the beginning and end of our salvation. He's the height and the depth of our salvation. He is the width and the breadth and the scope of our salvation. He is the model and pioneer of our salvation. He is the gospel of our salvation. Union with Christ is the good news. And if you lift up any benefit of salvation, you will see a sticker on it that says made in Christ. That's what I'm saying. You cannot have peace unless it is peace that is made in Christ. You cannot have assurance and protection unless it is assurance and protection that is made in Christ. This is what I'm saying. Every good and perfect gift comes from above from the father of lights. And it comes to us through union with Christ. This is meant to stabilize us in a time where Jesus becomes more and more uncomfortable. 
where Jesus becomes more and more of a nuisance. We must remain faithful to the core realities of our Christian faith, particularly as it's found in the doctrine of union with Christ. Doctrine is not a bad word. We need, listen, for a lot of our time here at Mosaic, we have labored to be accessible, to give you room, to use an artistic approach, pictures, images, accessible uh, language to help you to get in to understand what it is that Christians believe, what it means to, to know God. And I think now is the time to start laying in some framework so that you can understand what are the, what are the, the hard lines. How are you to understand it? Not just salvation in general. What does it mean that God has saved you, that God has united you to Christ? How do you begin to build upon that? How do you begin to grow up in your understanding of your union with Christ? This is what this series is about. I want to add definition. I want, if, if, if everything has felt like uh, it, it's been a little bit, you know, here at Mosaic, that is the labor of love to try and create room for people to come in and figure this stuff out without being hammered with a bunch of Christian jargon that makes it hard to begin to, to walk in. To, to, to feel welcomed and like this is a place that had you in mind. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we can't begin to take the lens and turn it a bit to bring into sharper focus what it means to know God, what it means to be saved, what it means to have new life in Christ. That's what we're going to do this fall. We're turning the lens and we're sharpening the focus. This is what it means to be saved. Cultural Christianity would lead you to believe that you can have things like we've discussed apart from Jesus. But these are only available in union with Christ. And I want you to see how Paul begins to spell this out. Look at the text. Uh, all this is just a beginning scratching the surface of verse 3. We haven't said everything there is to say about verse 3. But let's just begin to move on. And I want you to see how Paul lines it out. Okay? Look at how Paul lines, lines out. Uh, having every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, something I want to say real quick, and this is, this is, uh, it'll help clarify it. If you look at verse four, look at the very beginning of verse four. It says, even as. I think that's an unhelpful translation of what the Greek text is doing. I think you should read it as since, since. Because what's happening is that Paul is moving from verse three and with the beginning with verse 4, he's going to unpack for you what it means to be in Christ. What are those spiritual blessings that are in Christ? He's beginning to lay it out in the rest of this, of this passage. And by the way, this is one long Greek sentence. From verse 3 all the way to verse 14. It's, it's one long sentence of 202 Greek words. It's a long one, but it's rich. So listen, this is how you should hear it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, since he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, check it out. What Paul begins to do is he begins to show you everything that we have in Christ. Verse 4 
What are, what, what are the, those spiritual blessings? And spiritual is not spiritual as opposed to secular or spiritual as opposed to material. It's spiritual with a capital S as a result of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. We are in union with Christ through the Spirit. What are those spiritual blessings? Verse 4, the Father chose us in Christ. Verse 5, the Father predestined for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. By the way, these are not doctrines to be resisted, but embraced and cherished. It's not a question of whether God predestined or elected some to salvation. It's right here in the text. You have to wrestle with it. And what we have to do is submit our souls to the wonder of it. Because Paul doesn't try to get back behind it. What he goes on to say is the reason why God did it to the praise of his glorious grace. And he says it two times. This is the rationale for why God did what he did and how God did what he did. It was to the praise of his glorious grace. He chose us. Do you feel free to set your love on? Did you feel free to set your love on your spouse if you're married? Could anyone tell you what to do? How would you feel if someone told you who you were to love and who you couldn't love? You would say, who you think you are? I'm, I'm free to set my love on who I want. And I set my love on this one. And you don't love anyone else like you love your spouse. So will you refuse God that same freedom? He sets his love on his beloved people. He chose us. But I want you to see this. He never thinks of us apart from Christ. We are chosen in him. He, he sees us always from eternity. He has always viewed us in union with Christ. So on those days, what's the, so what? What's the practical benefit? On those days where you have screwed up so royally, where you feel so mired in shame, where you know you have been a fool, where you know you have been steeped in pride, where you have dropped the ball, where you're feeling like no one cares, you have to know there was never a moment in all of eternity that God the Father did not love you with the same strength of love that he loved his son Jesus. That's good news. That's the good news of election that God chooses us. That is fire. If that don't put some pep in your step, if that don't put some sunshine in your day, if that doesn't put some context on your trials, nothing else will. No amount of money, no amount of amenities will do for you what union with Christ will do for you. We are united to Christ. We are chosen in him. We're predestined for adoption as sons. That was the most privileged position in the family of the Greco-Roman world. And the beauty of this is that Paul is, is democratizing it. Yes, you sisters are brought in and you are treated as adopted sons. You are treated as, as the, 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 the dearest delight of God. We are as God's people. Verse 6. The Father blessed us with grace in Christ. Verse 7, the Father redeemed and forgave us in Christ. The cross, everything that happens in the cross, when you think of redemption in story form, we talk about the cross, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. But for Paul, he's saying all of that is part of the mountain range of union with Christ.
Verse 8, the Father lavished wisdom and insight upon us in Christ. Verse 9, the will and purpose of God the Father were set forth in Christ. They were publicly displayed in Christ. Verse 10, the Father unites all things in heaven and earth in Christ. All throughout the the rest of Ephesians, there's going to be this on earth and in the heavenlies theme. In the heavenlies and on earth theme. And what he's referring to right here is that the rebellion that took place in the heavenlies, the spiritual powers at work in this world, they will be put down. But not only that, the earthly barriers will be broken down. The barriers between people groups. The barriers between people who are alienated and estranged from one another. And the barriers between those who are estranged from God. He's going to put them down. That's what it means to unite all things in Christ. Not only are they brought together in Christ, they are brought under Christ as the king. Verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance in Christ. Some translators think that it should be saying something more like, we have become God's inheritance in Christ. Israel was called God's inheritance I like that translation better, actually. It's more faithful to the passive verb in the Greek text. We have become God's inheritance in Christ. His treasure. He calls us his inheritance, his treasure, his valued possession. That's what he said about Israel in Exodus 19. You are my shegolah, my treasured possession, my special treasure. We have become that together, Jews and Gentiles, in Christ. Verse 12, we have hope in Christ. After believing in Christ, verse 13, the Father has sealed us with the Holy Spirit in Christ. To be sealed is to be marked as protected in Christ. So you see, he begins with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, and he ends with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And in between, in all of it, is union with Christ. What is God the Father doing in salvation? The work of union with Christ. What is Christ doing? The work of union with him. What is the spirit doing? The work of union with Christ. That's what he's doing in you. That's what God is doing in the lives of his people. This is the centerpiece of salvation. And finally, briefly, we're going to talk about union with Christ as the masterpiece. Now check it out. If you look at verses 7 through 10, I want you to see the architecture of God's plan. He talks about this cosmic plan, the scope of the plan. And the plan is set forth, it's comprehended, it's detailed. It comes into full focus. What was previously a mystery becomes made known, this plan of God in Christ. His purpose is displayed in Christ. His plan for the world, his work in the world, his redemption of his creation is displayed in Christ. And we see that that purpose is death and resurrection. That's the purpose. That's what he has revealed in Christ. That dead things will be made alive. That broken things will be brought into full flourishing and healing. That old things will be made new in Christ. This is what he has revealed in Christ, the risen one. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God does many things at once and all things well, but his masterpiece, his magnum opus is to unite all things in Christ, 
putting down the rebel spiritual forces and breaking down all of the barriers that exist between himself and people and between people and one another. And Paul says two times that the reason why God has done all of this is to the praise of his glory. So as we ascend into a richer knowledge and experience of union with Christ, as the landscape grows ever more astonishing, let us love and sing and wonder. This is not just something to be mastered intellectually. It's something much like coming out into that expansive view of the mountains and saying, wow, impressed upon your soul, moved by what you see in it as you, as you, as you ascend higher into it. This is what this study is supposed to be for. So let's ascend together. And Lord willing, it will, it will impress upon our souls so much so that merely describing it to our friends and coworkers and neighbors won't be enough. We'll, we'll think, I can't wait to see them come and get into They got to get into this. It's so astonishingly good. It's so mesmerizing. Let's lean in for the purposes of change. Not just to become smarter sinners but to actually be transformed by what God has done in uniting us to his son, Jesus Christ. Let's press into our union with Christ and ascend. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this good news of union with Christ. We are grateful, Lord. And I pray that you would mature us this fall. I pray that those of us who have been hanging out in Boulder, viewing from a distance, would make the decision to ascend this fall, to go up into the mountain range that is union with Christ and marvel at what it means to be called by you, to be regenerated, made, made alive by you, to be justified by you, adopted by you, assured by you, sanctified by you, glorified by you united to Jesus, I pray that you would grow us up and that our hearts would be moved to worship. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.